Mr. Al Houghton. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Well, why are we doing a prophetic roundtable? The reason is because 24 years ago, this church went to Riadosa at a very interesting time in our developmental history, mine included. And uh, I was on the edge of the biggest crucifixion of my life and thought I was on the edge of the greatest advance of my life. I mean, and God let, led me into it. God led me into it and then cut my legs off out from under me. He led me into a crucifixion, and then he pulled a spring, the trap. And it was true on the prophetic word that God had given us in Riadosa. It, it all happened at the same time. Hello? Now, how many of you were there 24 years ago in Riadosa? One, two, three, four, five, five or six of us. So the rest of you are going to learn about the prophetic history of this house today. And you're going to hear about fulfillment. Because this is a season of fulfillment. Which is precisely why we're doing the round table. We never dreamed 24 years ago that God would give us the end time theology for a fearless church, the theology for the anointing that would be required to harvest nations, the full theology of the Holy Spirit. This is Pentecost Sunday. So you're going to hear a theology of the Holy Spirit. I'm assuming you've never heard before. I've been in this 44 years, and God just gave it to me last week. And when I look back on my history, which includes Riadosa, which includes this house, I was stunned to realize that God has been preparing us for this day all the way along. He's been preparing the church to get an end-time harvest, but he had to birth a theology for it. You know, there are some great types and shadows in our Bible. King David's one of them. King David asked, decided he wanted to build God a house. And I mean, everybody was afraid of David. You couldn't live and come against King David. Even his prophets were afraid of him. So Nathan said, Go to, God's with you. Go do everything in your heart. <laughs> Then that night, God said, wait a minute. He came to visit Nathan, and he said, wait a minute, Nathan. You go back and correct that with King David. Yeah, it's one of those rare instances in Scripture where the prophet has to back up and say, oops, sorry about that. It's one of those. So King David, his assignment, God spreads often spreads prophetic transitions over two generations. Our Bible's full of them. Moses had to go into Egypt and bring him out, but who had to take him in? Joshua. It was spread over two generations. When it came time to, to build a type and shadow church, then 
King David got the preparation. He got the architectural plans. He got the operational plans. And he got the money. But he had to hand it off to the next generation to build it. Now that's a picture of the end time harvest. When Jesus came victoriously into Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, I mean, uh, I forgot, anyways, what's somewhere in there? It's in Matthew. It's not in 7. It's in Matthew 23, somewhere in there. Okay, it comes in in the first seven verses, and every picture I ever grew up in church with on the triumphal entry, it was always Jesus sitting on a donkey. Jesus sitting on a single donkey. But when you read that passage in Matthew, I think it's 23, well, 1 through 7. When you read 23, 1 through 7, Jesus is sitting on two donkeys, the mother and a colt. And it's a picture, it's a prophetic picture of two generations. The Lord is coming back on the back of two generations. Well, what we're sitting here with today... It's just been finally, the, the cup has been fu- uh, filled in the last few weeks. We have walked out King David's part. We got the theology. We understand it. We see it. We got the prophetic pattern. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you something. That's an honor when God does stuff like that. That is an honor to a house. It's an honor to a people. He trusts your heart. When he gives you things like that. And we're doing a round table because we need to get the wisdom of God in how to go forward with the boatload that we've been given. So, I want to put up that prophetic word from Rhea Dosa 24 years ago. Because when that prophecy came forth, had you been there, everybody hit the floor. When that word came forth, there was such an anointing with it, we were all on our face. And we were on our face because God said, you've been digging a well, and a flood is going to come up. Hallelujah. A flood of finances. All right, I'm going to give you the theology for that today. I'm going to give you the theology that's the underpinning for the anointing that will bring uh, the transfer of wealth. And it doesn't have anything to do with you giving into a ministry and triggering it. It has to do with you and the Spirit of the living God and whether or not you will walk with Him. We don't even like to mention wealth transfer anymore because it has been so abused my mammonites. But I'll tell you, it's a real deal. And there, and there were a couple of people there who God had sovereignly spoken, you stop believing for M's millions and you start believing for B billions. Well, last week God said, this number three level of the Holy Spirit I'm going to show you today in the, in the full uh, outline of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He has four major assignments. They're all in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to go through the whole of Romans 8 this morning. And I'm going to show it to you. And when you get to level 3, the Lord said to me, This is the anointing that takes you from M's to B's. 
So what was prophesied back here 24 years ago? I am marveling at the fact that we are starting to walk in it and we're getting to practice it. Hallelujah. So I can present it to you as a full theology. And not only that, as a fulfillment of a prophetic word that has come to this house. Keep going. You know why there's a powerful anointing to heal coming and why we have to have it? I want to show you in Scripture. It's it's a pattern. It's when he got to the thus saith the Lord, that's when everybody hit the deck. Because God filled the room. We poured out our lives for a purpose, and that purpose is the fullness of Christ, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God said he's going to raise up leaders. They're going to lead groups. He's going to send them out of this house. The greatest mistake that was ever made in the church is we separated our seminaries from our churches. So once again, our churches, especially where an anointing of the Holy Spirit is birthed, have to become our Bible schools. They have to. That means some of us are going to have to move there and become part of it. Hello. Or at least uh, figure out a way to come in and out whenever it's needed. So that, so that we, we are giving our part of that schooling that God wants to do. Hallelujah. Keep going. Now, here's here, level three of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. A fountain of blessing is coming from the chasms of the earth. Hallelujah. I've already seen that happen, and uh, we have activated one of those. We're going to activate another one. Um, praise the Lord. And I want to give you the theology for it. In other words, this is the flow. It, you know, when God starts bringing up oil, or when he starts moving oil from the land where the wicked have it, over to the land where the righteous have it, you know your season has changed. Now, I've already experienced that once two years ago. But God gave me the theology for how you and I are going to make it happen again. How our words, our prayer. And that was prophesied that there were people who were going to be around those openings. In other words, people were going to carry that anointing. It was going to come. The creation would start to respond to your direction when you utter it by the Spirit. And most of you that know anything about Romans 8 know it's got a whole section that says the creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to stand up and stop it from funding evil and restore it to its original purpose, funding God's great harvest of the nations. Hallelujah. Well, we got the theology for that. And it's coming. Amen. All right. Smile at somebody and say, you better go to Romans 8. (laughs) Quick. (laughs) Fast. All right. Now, I'm going to assume that everybody here understands the issue of why the Holy Spirit is so critical, crucial, and important. I mean, other than the fact that we need another helper. Other than the fact it's God on board. Third person of the Holy Trinity. Other than the fact that you, uh, we cannot fulfill our call from the foundations of the earth without the Holy Spirit. He is the anointing to walk in our purpose. All right? And so, when you 
Ask God for the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 11. I mean, it, it's, it's real clear in that passage. I trust everybody knows that passage because it's got a very um, pastoral promise in it about this issue. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Answer, no. Parents don't do that. If you ask for a fish, will he give him a serpent? No. Parents don't do that. If you ask for an egg, will your parent give you a scorpion? No. Parents don't do that unless they're mega dysfunctional. If you then, being evil now to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, the biggest problem we have with the Holy Spirit today is we've got a bunch of bad teaching out there from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the nine gifts of the Spirit come forth, and two of those, nine, are tongues and interpretation of tongues. But that's in a public setting. When you get the Holy Spirit, the... Prayer language in tongues is a different issue. That is not the uh, public uh, setting of the gifts that 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of. Now, the only people who confuse that are people who don't want you, don't believe in the Holy Spirit, don't believe it's for today, and don't want you to go in there. That's where that confusion comes from. So we have a lot of people who ask for the Holy Spirit and they wait around and if the earth doesn't shake, they don't believe they got anything. And they certainly won't open their mouth and speak. Now, I'd been an agnostic 10 years when when I finally got saved and asked God for the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you know 10 years of being an agnostic, you can be a little rough around the edges? Just a little Especially if you pulled 161 combat missions in Vietnam and were a Navy pilot, you're more than a little rough. So I said, God, this is what your word says. You know, I read all the testimonies about how the people had these awesome experiences. So fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I waited. Zero. Zip. Nada. No emotion. Nothing. So I went, I went here because I had I'd read this passage in uh, Luke 11. And I said, God, you lied to me. I told you I was a little rough around the edges. And I heard the Lord. I was a brand new believer. Maybe a month. How can you speak in tongues with your mouth shut? Now, that's God responding to an old Missouri farmer. Just straight language. Oh, wait a minute. What does that mean? Are, are you saying it's my job to open my mouth and speak in faith and then to trust you to form it into a language? Is that what you're telling me? That I misunderstood what my part is? I am actually waiting for you to do what you're waiting for me to do. So we're, we're, we're to Arkansas standoff. Is that what we got going on here? So I spoke of you, Silva. I said, God, that's me. I made that up. That's not you. There's no way that's you. 
And then I heard his voice again. Try it for 30 days and see what happens. Have you ever had God con you into anything? (laughs) At the end of 30 days, I had prayed myself out of a flying career and into the ministry. (laughs) See. So I learned a little bit the hard way, usually. That's pretty much how I learn everything, the hard way. So if you're one of those that that you don't think you've got tongues and you ask God for the prayer language, let, let me tell you why this is so important, all right? Why is the prayer language essential for your growth and development? It is because of 1 Corinthians 14. This is why the prayer language is crucial. All right, First Corinthians chapter 14, and in verses 1 and 2, and then in verses 3 and 4. So in verses 1 and 2 of First Corinthians chapter 14, all right, I'll, I'll tell you something. Do me a favor. Take your watch off and put it aside, or turn it upside down, all right? Just take it off. Forget it. We, we are in here for fulfillment. We are not beating the Baptists to lunch. Get it where you can't see it. And give yourself to what we're doing today, which is unfolding something that's going to change our future. All right? Hallelujah. Then we won't be distracted. All right, here it is. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 2. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. No one understands him, however, in the Spirit. Verse 2, circle this. He speaks mysteries. When you pray in the Spirit, you are praying out the mysteries of God that you are going to need for your life. Now, there's a young man right now named Kevin Zadai. I have an old, uh, well, one of my old flying partners, actually. He, he was a carrier-based pilot, but we were both in the Navy at the same time, both in Nam. So I was out doing the Megan Sam threat warning, and he was flying the missions off his carrier. All right, so we were there. We were there at the same time. We hooked it up afterwards, and uh, so we've been friends ever since. He called me up, and he said, I know you're going to be interested in this. I just heard this guy. God took him to heaven, gave him a vision, took him to heaven, and took him in the library. So he's in the library, and he's wandering around, and he sees all the names of people you know, and there's a name on each scroll. Each, there's a scroll for every name. And he said, well, that's a family member. Can I open that up? And God said, no. All those scrolls are the destiny of my people, and they're all written in tongues And the only way you can open that scroll is to pray in tongues. (laughs) Now, he said, I knew you'd be interested in that, so I just wanted to tell you. And, you know, you can't prove that. That's a vision. I can't prove that in Scripture. But you know what it does? It explains a lot of stuff. It explains a ton of stuff. And I want to tell you about it, or nothing else, than to motivate you to pray in tongues. Because the mysteries that you are praying about, you are calling into existence in order to fulfill your destiny. That's the power of tongues. 
It brings what we don't understand. See, the, jump over to verse 15, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. If I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. That's why praying in tongues is such a challenge for most people. Because if you're a thinking person, if, you, if you've learned to be comfortable uh, with your, your thought processes and, and you trust that realm of your life and you've developed it, okay? So you're strong in reason. You're strong uh, in, in, in this uh, area. Then it's a double crucifixion when you go to pray in tongues because your mind is saying, man, this is worthless. You're not getting anything done. And your mind is what begins to rebel because it's in neutral. It's out of a job, and it doesn't like being out of a job. It's got a lot to say, and it wants to do some dictating. And so, because that is why when you look at uh, Isaiah 28, with stammering lips and another tongue, you will speak to this people. This is the rest. This is the refreshing. But they would not hear. What is praying in tongues? It is a spiritual test for every individual. And what makes it a test? 1 Corinthians 14, 15, our mind is unfruitful. you got to park it in neutral, say, shut up, I'm doing this. I'm doing it, and I'm doing it for a reason. Number one, there's some mysteries I don't know, and I need to know it. I need to know it to fulfill my destiny. Number two, verse three and four. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies. Oikodomeo. Builds or rebuilds. It's a construction term. When you're praying in tongues, you are constructing your spiritual house. Remember over in uh, Matthew, I think it's 7, that if you and I build on the rock and the floods come, oikotomeo, same word. How do you build on the rock? I was always taught you'd do the word, but there's a secondary aspect of building on the rock, praying in tongues. When you're praying in tongues, you're constructing your spiritual house. And the flood can't shake it. Hello? Now, that's why this prayer language is really, really important, guys. I mean, all right, so I'm encouraging you to do it. Hallelujah. All right. Intro's over. You're ready for Romans 8. Here it is. Now, there are four divisions. If I'll tell you what I would call this. If this were a seminary class, I would say, this is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. In this chapter, we have God telling us the four main assignments He has given to His Spirit. And when you received the Holy Spirit to camp out on the inside of you, now the Holy Spirit's job is to walk you through these four phases into your destiny. And they're all unfolded here. They also appear in Isaiah 59, 60, and 61. They also appear in the book of Ephesians. But because we don't have another uh, 12 weeks to do a Bible class, 
You're on your own to find those. I'm telling you they're there. It's, it's, this same prophetic pattern is in here for the Father, for the Son, and for the Holy Ghost. And right here in Romans chapter 8, if you have a Thomas Nelson study Bible, you will have a comment in between each one of these divisions. I happen to have Open Bible Expanded Edition, New King James, 1982. All right, it's old. But it's got it. Division number one is Romans 8, verses 1 through verses 11. So, what is division number one? The Holy Spirit is given for this purpose to empower us to overcome our flesh and to walk with God. You got conflict right inside of you. Your body wants to do one thing when God wants you to do another. You're living conflict Going somewhere to happen, having to make decisions. Am I going to yield to the flesh? Am I going to yield to the Spirit? So the number one assignment of the Holy Spirit, empower you to yield your life to the King. How many people go 40 years and still struggle with that? John Wimber used to have uh, pray this prayer, and he told every single one of us, listen, you guys, pray this prayer and start now. God, help me grow up before I grow old. That's a tough one. Help me grow up before I grow old. All right, let's read it. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, Okay, well, if you walk according to the Spirit, there's no condemnation. What if you don't? Condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his Spirit who dwells in you. So, phase number one of the Holy Spirit. When we commit to him, he says, I will lead you to yield to the Spirit and you will overcome your own flesh. And only through that can you attain the fullness of my destiny. Hallelujah. Now smile somebody and say that's number one. Now here's where I get excited. You mean you're getting excited over... Yeah, the reason I'm getting excited over number two is because two years ago... I, I, I called Larry and, and said, you know what, Larry, I mean, I, I don't think I, we can continue. Uh, it, it just doesn't feel like with what God's saying, 
I can come out once or twice a year and, and get where we want to go. So I'm submitting this to you. I want you to pray about it. The, the Lord opened up these sonship gifts in the book of Ephesians. I see the fruit in the Apostle Paul. No blame, shame, or guilt. I mean, it's, it's, uh, what they do is they totally eradicate your past. They put you into God's family. You get adopted. You begin to think different. Uh, you, it, it, they're transformative. It's, it's Paul's own testimony of how God transformed him. How made him, how he became the man of God he became. How he walked in the power that he walked in. It's his own personal testimony, and it's going to do the same thing for us. And so, I, I've never thought about doing this before, but I think we're going to need four straight months, same weekend every month, to try and unfold this. Because the issue is sonship. We need to step in to being sons and daughters of God. Guess what number two is? The Spirit gives sonship. <laughs> you got any idea what went off on the inside of me? Now, this is two weeks ago. God took me to Romans 8. And he said, these are the four dimensions that are assigned to the Spirit to walk you through these phases into your destiny. And once you yield to the Spirit and say, okay, God, I'm not here serving me. I'm here serving you. I'm not here to get everything I want out of life. I'm here for your will, your purpose, your plan, which, which you set up for me before the foundation of the earth. So once you cross over that and yield to the Spirit, then the next thing that happens is, phase two, God says, now I'm going to make this real to you. You're a son. You've got a new family. You've been adopted into a different family. It has none of the baggage of your old one. It's got total freedom. You're chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. Then you're adopted. Now, once you're adopted, I'm going to make you know you've been accepted. Redeemed. Forgiven. I'm going to make it real. You're going to start to think like Jesus. You can develop the same relationship with the Father that Jesus had. Try that on for size. Now, my favorite aspect of that is, do you not think I could ask my Father for 12 legions of angels? We asked for a little angelic intervention in Sunday school today. And it felt good. Just ask, if you weren't there, ask somebody. They'll tell you what we did. I'm stunned. This is number two. We just, not knowing it, not realizing this was a prophetic pattern, just doing our best to follow the Holy Ghost, we've been pushed by God into phase two already. And for those of you who weren't there, it's only 27 CDs. (laughs) Is there a shortcut? Yeah. Let the Holy Ghost do it. It's the only shortcut I know. That may take a lot of praying in tongues, however. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, smile at somebody and say it's number two. Therefore, verse 12, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, you got a new family, my friend, and God is your dad. And even when Mary went to look for Jesus, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. What did Jesus say? He redefined family. Who is my mother? Who are my sisters? Who is my brother? And he pointed to the believers in front of him. And he said, those who do the will of God. That is my mother, my sister, my brother. Phase two. God as our father becomes real. I'm in a new family. What does that mean? Matthew 11. There is no one greater than John the Baptist when it comes to prophets, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. If you're going to shoulder this new family, you start thinking differently. You start thinking about what God has made you in Christ. And that has to start ruling. That is phase two, and it goes through verse 17. Joint heirs. That's seven. If children heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified. Ah, what comes at the end of phase two? The glory. Here comes the glory. And that is number two in Ephesians. Number one, the hope of his calling. The same relationship with the Father that Jesus developed. Number two, the glory. You get to live in the glory. You get to live with God intervening when you ask Him. When you pray, His hand is extended. That's phase three. Phase three is prophesied about at Riadosa. Phase three, in phase three, you have such freedom as a son and a daughter that even the creation is recruiting your input. The creation wants you to free it from funding evil and release it to fund the end time harvest. I didn't write Romans. I was there. Anointing. You By the anointing, you will see fountains of blessing coming from the chasms of the deep. 
Now, in West Texas, what does that sound like to you? O-I-L. Oil. And it'll move from one county to another. It'll move. It'll, it'll move to where your land is. Smile at somebody and say, phase three. It goes from verse 18 down through verse 30. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the Son. The creation was subjected to futility, verse 20. The creation has been funding evil and it is complaining about it. It's tired of it. The creation wants to return to funding righteousness, which is the purpose it was originally created. How do we know that? We know that from Deuteronomy chapter 32. That's how we know that. Because it tells us that. And it mentions oil there. Deuteronomy 32, verse 2-2-2-2-7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father. He will show you. Your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. When he divided the nations, he set the boundaries according to the people of God. So when he set America in place, there's a call on America. So all the money necessary for the call on the nation is already in the ground somewhere. Oils, mineral, whatever is there somewhere. So then you come into the blessing of Jacob, which is his inheritance. That's verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in the desert. All right, verse 11. As an eagle stirs up its nest, so it hovers over its young. All right, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them. So the Lord led him. There was no foreign God with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the field. He made him draw honey from the rock, oil from the flinty rock. There's oil again. Two years ago, I've told this story once, but it, but it happened, and I just got refreshed in it because the pastor was there. I'd forgotten which counties it was. It was Reagan County and Glasgow County because I saw this. I saw it on an airplane. I saw it in a vision that we went out to a place where there's a county line. Put one foot one county, one foot in the other. I, I leaned over on the county line sign and started to speak to the oil. You will no longer fund evil over here. It had all been sold to the Chinese, and so it was going directly to China. Move over here to this county where a bunch of Christians have their land. Move, in Jesus' name. So when I got to, I said, this is crazy. So I didn't say anything. And, and finally, so we got done with the teaching and what we had been doing. At that point, it was a college lab class. The Lord told me I would be there in a college lab for two full years, learning how to pray judgment. So that was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen vision-wise or any otherwise. And so I just said, I'm putting it on the shelf. If nobody says anything, forget it. It was another one of those pizza dreams. (laughs) No way. And so I said, Pastor, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to go out to this uh, point right between two counties and this one county's got the oil. They've had it for years. They've sold it to the Chinese. It's fully funding the enemy right now. 
And I want to pray that God will move it over to this county where a lot of Christians have their land. I said, really? <laughs> really? Now, I was still semi in unbelief because that you know, this is the crazy thing I've ever done. So on the way out there, I said, God, I, I really would like to have, you know, in two or three witnesses, I need a third to have faith for this deal. So would you please give me a scripture? I would really like to have a third witness. And so I heard Psalm 125, verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. I said, okay, the first thing we're doing is we're pleading the covenant of the sure mercy of David on Glasscock County and all the people that own land there. So, Lord, if there's any wickedness, then lift it, lift it by your covenant off your people. Now, in Jesus' name, oil, I command you to move. Thirty days later, the pastor called and said, there are producing wells that are going dry. They're starting to drill dry holes. And and, and then uh, a, a week after that, they announced, Apache announced, the biggest find that they'd had in Texas so far, more oil than was in Saudi Arabia, where we prayed. Now, there were two people here who God had spoken to. Stop believing for M's, start believing for B's. Last week, the Lord said to me, phase three, this is the anointing that takes you from M's to B's. In phase three, you walk in the anointing that will shut down the funding of evil and will raise up the funding of the end time harvest. We're talking about the key to wealth transfer, which appears in Genesis and goes all the way to James. But it doesn't have... It's not, nobody benefits by trying to milk you out of a dime. This is an anointing that is given by the Spirit to those who yield to the Spirit, those who step up into their sonship, and finally, those who are willing to walk by the Spirit and apply it. It is the theology of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is charged with this. He will administrate it, but He uses people. He uses us. He uses His sons and daughters. Now, you wonder why in this vision there are thousands of people going out, their Bible schools, all this stuff is in this vision. Why? Because this, this theology of the Holy Spirit that we are looking at here... And I mean, just like it unfolds, well, what is the only one more phase, phase four, and what is phase four? When you come down to the end of phase three, and that's in verse 30, all right? So it goes from Romans 8, phase three is Romans 8, verses 18 through verse 30. Then you go into the final phase of the Holy Spirit, 31 through 39, nothing 
can separate you from the love of God. What God ordained and purposed for you to do before the foundation of the earth, the Holy Spirit is charged with completing it. He will bring it to pass. It is your guarantee. And the reason that Ephesians says, you now, number nine, sonship gift, you receive the Holy Spirit of promise. And He is the surety of your inheritance. He is charged in Romans chapter 8 to take you all the way to the end of God's purpose. You will fulfill your destiny in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has a power to do that. He's God resting on the inside of us. And who can withstand Him when He stands up? Nobody. Now, there's one final issue we need to look at. And that issue, it comes up when... I can tell you where it is. Just go look at it when you have time, okay? It's in Deuteronomy 18. It's in Acts chapter 3. The Lord will raise up a prophet like you, Moses. The Lord will raise up a prophet like you. We know that's Jesus. Right? Why is that important for us? Well, it's important for us because Moses and Jesus in Scripture are presented like two sides of the same coin. Moses is the judgment side in Exodus. Jesus is the healing, redemptive, delivering side in the Gospels. But now, ask yourself this question. 400 years, slaves. If you've been a slave 400 years... How does God get you ready to spoil Egypt? Why is that important? It's important because we have to get a church ready to spoil an enemy and fulfill. Yes, it's a Holy Spirit charged job. Yes, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. But I'm telling you what, if you and I don't develop the faith to walk with him in it, So ask yourself this question, which God asked me two weeks ago when he started unfolding this. What was Moses doing when he wasn't in Pharaoh's face? Good question. I mean, Moses didn't have long with Pharaoh. I mean, every time he went up to Pharaoh, it ticked Pharaoh off and he said, get the heck out of here. So maybe three minutes, five minutes, you know, each visit. I mean, Moses was... Didn't have a whole lot of popularity with Pharaoh. So you could compress all of his interactions with Pharaoh in about two hours. God asked me, what was Moses doing when he wasn't in Pharaoh's face? God, I don't know. Is it even in the Bible? Yes, but it's only in two verses. Two verses? Why are we having this conversation? Because if you don't understand this, you do not have the key to get your generation ready to spoil. 
Because it's only when you understand Moses as the prophet like Jesus that you can go to how Jesus walked. And then you can see what Moses was doing when he wasn't in Pharaoh's face. And it's a picture of what you have to do. It's what your generation has to do. Two verses. Psalm 105. 37 and 38. He also brought them out with silver and gold. There was none feeble among them. Now, when you go look up that word in the Hebrew dictionary, it's a, the, I'm just going to go to the last definition that appears in the Hebrew dictionary. To experience no success in your life. To have no experience of success in your life. Now, if you've been in slavery 400 years, you're battered, you're broken, you're bruised, you got body, you get no medication, you get no doctor's care, you're a mess. What was Moses doing? He was a prophet like Jesus. He was healing. Now, if I can find where Jesus healed them all, then I have found what Moses is doing. And if we got three witnesses, it's not just in the Gospels. It wasn't just Jesus. He also gave it to the generation who followed him then we got a picture of what we're looking at. We've got a picture of what we need to see. we got a picture of the first manifestation of glory that's coming to the church because we've got people who have been in bondage. Yeah, it's a different kind of bondage. It's a bondage to religion. And in many ways, it's worse. But God's going to break it the same way. When Moses brought them out, there was not one new living not one sick nor feeble among them. Ho, oh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Let's see. Did Jesus heal them all? You guys know enough Bible to know he did. Not once or twice. And it says all. A-L-L. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. It's in here. Thank you, Jesus. 424, then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases, torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Is all in there. They brought him all, he healed them. So yes, all is in there. 1215, Matthew 12, verse 15. 12, 15, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them, A-L-L, all. Now, there's your picture of Moses. There's not one feeble nor sick among them. Jesus is operating this way. Why did Moses operate this way? He had to bring success to the people so they were sure of their relationship. Otherwise, they have no faith to go to the Egyptians and say, give me your silver, give me your gold, and give me your best clothes. But when Moses was done 
that faith was there. We're charged the same thing. That call is on us, and we have to step up to it. And God started speaking to us 24 years ago about all of it. He gave us pictures. And he has faithfully brought us to this place. Here we are. This day, we're being invaded. Our city's being invaded by the most demonized people on the planet. The question is, are they going to walk out or be carried out? I'm voting for carried out. But I have found God opened up this prophetic pattern. It's three times in Scripture. And in this pattern, the anointing comes to the glory comes to heal. The glory comes for every person to experience the success of their God. The victory of the cross. The victory of the Christ over sin, sickness, death, and disease. And to set the creation free from funding evil. King David's everyone. Mighty warrior. Walking like a king, talking like a king, declaring like a king, out of the spirit of the living God, healed, free, well, whole. All I want to do is see it one more time. Yeah, it appears in Luke. It appears in all these places. Okay, so it's in the Gospels. But tell me. Tell me it's somewhere. Tell me it wasn't just Jesus. Tell me that Jesus gave that anointing to a generation after him. It's in Acts chapter 5. And he did it. Verse 15 and 16. So they brought the sick out into the street. They laid them on beds, couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. That is Moses. That is a prophet like Moses. That is the Jesus who indwells us by the Holy Spirit. And we have to prepare a people to spoil And that's how we do it. That's the pattern. That's the glory that's coming. That's the anointing that's coming. I spent 25 years walking with the judicial Christ. And the Lord said, if you don't give the people success, they cannot shoulder the judgment of God. Heal them. And the Spirit will lead them into the judicial. Father, you said to ask you for rain in the time of the latter rain. So, Lord, we ask today that you would complete what you started in us in Jesus' name, that we would see the fruit of it, that, Father, we would see oil move, that we would see eight wells developed, minimum 2,500 barrels a day, 40 million a month. 
in Jesus' name. Lord, that that's what we would see in the days ahead. Because the creation is asking us, stand up, tell us what to do. Bring us back to serve the living King, to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So God, reign. Reign on your people. There was not one sick nor feeble among them. Reign so that we see it again. Reign today in the name of the living Christ. Reign on your people in Jesus' name. Lord, we receive it. We thank you for it. We call it forth. We say, be done in Jesus' name. Be fulfilled. Pattern come again in the name of the Lord. And let us walk in the fullness and power of your spirit and fulfill our destiny. Lord, thank you for it. We rejoice in it and we call it forth. And everyone agreed by saying, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. There's a ton of stuff here. And it's enough that we felt like the best way to approach this was to call for the people we trust and do a prophetic roundtable and get the voice of the Spirit from the people we trust. Right now, all I can be is thankful. Thankful to be included with the growth of this congregation. Thankful. Lord, bless your people. In Jesus' name, bless your people. Anoint us to fulfill our destiny. We receive it from your hand. And let your blessing be on your people. And on this house. And let us fulfill the destiny you assigned. In Jesus name. Hallelujah. Amen. Cheers my friend. You know, we've been flirting around with this thing that's coming for quite a while. We keep talking about it. But I think we're at a point there. You know, you come to the point where it's either put up or shut up. And uh, I think we're there. He he said something I thought was uh, profound about, and I know it was about me when I was trying to speak in tongues. You know, you got to open your mouth. If you don't open your mouth, it ain't happening. I went three years with my mouth shut until I finally opened my mouth. Of course, the first word was guacamole, but it's just a faith test. How are you going to get healed? You just going to stand there like a lump? Say, hit me? Are you going to do something? Open your mouth. Reach out your hand. The woman with the issue of blood. Say, if I can just touch him, you gotta move. You gotta do. You gotta say. You gotta do your part. Like Steve says, God won't do your part, but He'll do His part.
So let's end this. You stand up, all of us, right now. And I want to just take a, a minute here. I want you to, to sow a seed right now for yourself. It has to be for you, folks. Don't pray for somebody else. Because, you know, honestly, it is hard to pray for yourself, really more so than for others. It just, you know, because you don't have to sit there and feel it yourself. When you pray for someone else, it's kind of on them. You know what I mean? Pray for yourself right now. Lift up your hand. God, now, what is it? What is it that you're asking him for? Speak it out. What is it? God, I want my eyes to be healed. That's what I'm asking for. What is yours? Speak it out. Say it to God. Don't be afraid. What do you got to lose, really? If I can just touch him, I will move. Move now. 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 Today is the day. Don't put off. Don't put it off. God will move. God will move. Those who walk by faith, these are the sons of God. Walk by faith. And the words that come out of your mouth, believe that they came from God. And here's the rest of that scripture. God looks over his word to perform it. It will not return to him void. If you speak words before God, and God gave you those words, he's the one now that will perform it. All he's asking is for someone to believe. That's all he wants. Will you believe him? We act like it. Tell him, God, I believe him. I'm going to get up every day and thank you for what I don't yet see. Because faith is the substance of that. But I believe. And there is a reward for those that believe. You will reward because you're faithful. You are a faithful God. And you are our Father. And you created us all in the image of the one that came to buy all these things. This we say. This we believe. This is our seal with you. Every day, God, I will wake up and I will thank you for what you have done today until I see it with my eyes. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That name.
right, people. Tonight at six, let's just see what God does. Let's 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 take a ride in the Spirit. Step out of the water. I'm I'm, I'm pumped. Amen. Bless people on the way out. Because I'm praying for you too.